0: And about you but I was blessed by that worship time. You know, Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year when you think about the birth of Christ and just celebrating what he did, the life that he lived, and I'm really excited about that. You never know what's going to happen. As you know, Arden first. You never know what's going to happen. So, <laughs> um, a few announcements before we jump into today's message, of which you have got a little preview. Um, this Wednesday night, we are going to have a special church decoration time. So, if you're able to come, we're going to be decorating the church and getting things ready for Christmas. And I want to challenge everyone next Sunday to bring a friend. We're going to have a bring a a friend or a guest to church Sunday, and we want to pack the pews because it's a Christmas season, and we're getting ready to, God willing, we're hoping to send 15,000 invites into the community, so we don't know who's going to show up this Christmas season, but we're inviting the whole community to come, so you guys keep that in your prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll jump into his word today. Father, we love you, and thank you for your grace. Father, I'm just astounded by your love and just your power. And, Father, as we finish up the series today on Miracles in Red, the miracles of Jesus speak to our hearts fresh and new. Father, give us pure hearts so we can think clearly and understand your word as we should. And, Father, I pray that you would bless each and every person here, Lord, and there would be one here who finds him or herself in a storm, that, God, you would speak peace to their storm, and you would help them to realize that you are there in the midst of their storm. I pray your blessing to be upon your word as we read it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever experienced a really bad week? Anybody? Some of you had that last week. I came across this humorous article in a Christian publication and it's entitled, You Can Tell When It's Gonna Be a Rotten Day. You wake up face down on the pavement. You call suicide prevention and they put you on hold. That'd be pretty bad, right? You see a 60 Minutes News Team waiting in your office. Your birthday cake collapses from the weight of candles. Can anybody relate in here? You turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes outside of the city. Your twin sister forgot your birthday. (laughs) Your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the freeway. That would be scary. Your boss tells you not to bother to take off your jacket. The bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. (laughs) You wake up and your braces are locked together. You call your answering service and they tell you that it's none of your business. (laughs) Wow. For those of you who are accountants or CPA, you can laugh at this one. Your income tax check bounces. Never happened. Never happened. Right. You put both contact lenses in the same eye. And God forbid this should ever happen. But your wife says, good morning, Bill. And your name is Anthony. That's a really bad start to your day. So today we're going to talk about how to survive storms. Last week we talked about two ladies. One was a 12-year-old girl and one was a woman who had been sick for 12 years and how Jesus miraculously healed them both. Today, today's miracle is one that we're all familiar with. If you've been in church any extended period of time, you know the story about Peter walking on water. So what I want to do is look at this story and look at it with fresh lenses. And I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. What would you do if you found yourself being Peter? So today's message, I've entitled it Confessions of a Wet Water Walker. Try to say that five times fast. It will definitely uh, make you stumble. But we're going to talk about confessions of a wet water walker. And at the, the close of the message, we're going to ask the question, are you a wet water walker or are you a still sitting saint? So let, let's jump into God's word. Matthew 14, starting at verse 22, it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and they, he asked him to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves. for The wind was contrary. And we know from a parallel gospel, the disciples are about three or four miles out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was on a mountainside looking down and he could see his disciples struggling in the midst of the storm. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, that's between three and six in the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Jesus on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you command me to come to you on the water or I like the old King James says, bid me to come. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, "O you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So today I want you guys to put yourself in Peter's shoes. And we're going to talk about confessions of a wet water walker. Other than Jesus, Peter is the only one we have in history who's ever walked upon water. I mean, that's just unbelievable to be able to walk on upon a non frozen lake. And to be able to go across it and to do something that no human being has done. Now, we know that Moses parted the Red Sea and they walked on dry land. But this is the only occurrence that we have of someone walking in the midst of the water. So I think if Peter were here today, he would give us a few confessions. The first confession is this storms come when you least expect them. You notice in the text that Jesus had sent His disciples away, kind of the, the backdrop, of what happened in the previous verses. They had fed the, the multitude, 5,000 men plus women and children, so perhaps 15 to 20,000 people, and they were wanting to make Jesus king. And we don't know why Jesus sent His disciples on ahead. Most scholars think that He didn't want His disciples to get caught up into to the, the crowd of, let's make Jesus king, because it wasn't His time yet to establish um, His eternal kingdom. And all of a sudden, Jesus sent his disciples away, but he sent them into the midst of an oncoming storm. In life, we often face storms when we're not even aware or not even expecting them. And I can imagine the disciples, they were probably really upset for a moment. Like, why did we were Jesus told us to do this? And now we're in the midst of a terrible storm. Why? I was reading a cute little story about a bird named Chippy. He's a parakeet. And he he was having a good day until all of a sudden his owner, she decided to clean out his cage. So she got a vacuum cleaner and she took off the little attachment at the end and started sucking out the bottom of Chippy's cage. The phone rang, so she went to go answer the phone. As soon as she turned around, Chippy was sucked up into the vacuum cleaner. She put down the phone. She was startled. She's like, "My poor little parakeet." So she ripped open the vacuum cleaner bag, and to her pleasant surprise, Chippy was still alive, but he was now covered in dust and soot and stuff that was on her carpet the day before. So she did what any loving bird owner would do. She ran to the bathroom, turned on the faucet full blast, and washed Chippy. Held him under the faucet. And she pulled him up and the dust was gone. But now Chippy was shivering cold and shaking. And she's like, well, the only thing I know to do to help this bird is she went into her sink. So now she's moving over. She got out her hair blow dryer and she did what any loving bird owner would do. She blasted him with hot air. And a news reporter that had reported on this asked, how is Chippy doing? You know, they were interested in this cute little story. And she said, well, Chippy's doing great, but he doesn't sing anymore. And the news reporter reported, well, it's hard to understand why he wouldn't. He was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That's enough to take the joy even out of the stoutest heart. And I feel like we're there sometimes. When a storm hits us, we're like, God, why did you do this? Why did you allow this to happen? Because after all, you know, Jesus sent his disciples into the coming storm. But Jesus knew the secret about storms. Storms have the ability to take you to new levels. In fact, sometimes a storm is a promotion in disguise. Because what we see throughout Jesus' ministry, the disciples enter into a storm and they discover a new revelation of who Jesus is. They enter in a storm and they come on the other side and they see all these healings and miracles take place as we read later in Matthew's gospel. Storms are often... Promotions in disguise. Setbacks become God's set-ups. Romans 5, a parallel passage, verses 3-4, through it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. When you think about storms, and you ask why is God allowing a storm to happen, well, one possibility is this. Storms can be used to refine your character, they can relaunch your faith and they can redirect your life back on track. I'll say that again. Storms can refine your character. They can relaunch your faith or they can redirect your life back on track. So I want you to think about your storm differently. Sometimes we say, God, why? But sometimes we need to ask, what is God trying to teach me in this storm? What can God reveal in this storm? Because Peter and the disciples, they were just following God's will. You ever hear people say that the the safest place to be is in the center of God's will? Well, I understand the sentiment behind that, but it also can be a dangerous place because they found themselves in the middle of the storm. So I want you to know that following God doesn't eliminate storms from your life. We all face storms. The question is, when you're in the midst of a storm, what are you going to do? Which brings us to our second confession. Jesus still cares for me even when I can't see him in the storm number two. Jesus still cares for me even when I can't see him. See, here we have the picture. Jesus sends his disciple to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is on top of a mountainside, a high elevated position, where the Bible implies that he can see his disciples and they're struggling. And we know from Mark, a parallel gospel that has a story, Jesus went up to the hillside, the mountaintop around evening, and the disciples had been struggling from evening on until Anytime between 3 to 6 in the morning. So they've been out hours upon hours. And they're like, when is God going to come and help? Jesus, we can't see you right now. We can't understand why you sent us into the storm. I heard a story about this little boy. And he was caught in a fire. His house, his home went in a in flames. And all of a sudden, his dad got away. But the little boy was caught on the second floor. And his dad could see his son through the smoke, but the little boy couldn't see his dad. And he was panicking and he was out getting ready to jump the window, but he couldn't see the ground where to land on. And his dad said, son, jump. I can see you. And the little boy said, father, I can't see you. There's smoke and there's flames and there's darkness and I can't see you at all. And the son, the father looked at the son and said, son, I can see you. That's all that matters. Jump and I'll catch you. And I think the story illustrates that even when we can't see Jesus, he can see us. When you're in the middle of a storm and you can't see clearly what's going on, know that the Father looks down and he sees you and he knows what you're going through. Look back in verse 23. It says, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. One little side note I want to mention there, it's not in your notes, but... I find it very encouraging that Jesus, as busy as he was, he had just fed, and I'll talk to the ladies in just a second. Imagine you just had Thanksgiving dinner. Some of the men cooked, but probably most of the ladies. Imagine feeding ten to 20,000 people. You can imagine how tired you are. After cooking that Thanksgiving dinner and having 20 people, you're all worn out. I've been cooking this turkey all night. You want to get away, right? Watch a little Hallmark movie, do something, just veg out. Well, Jesus, as busy as he was... He got away to pray. A lot of us say, I'm too busy to pray. Jesus would encourage us, you're too busy not to pray. Prayer is what energizes you for what's next. So Jesus got away and he prayed. And you notice, it says, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves. The wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now I love the fact that, that it's the fourth watch of the night. That was the Roman time counting system. And that was between three and six in the morning. So in the darkest time of the night. When it was pitch black. That's when the, the, the light of the world comes walking on the water. And you notice that Jesus comes to them. They didn't come to Jesus in a storm. He comes to where they're at. And I, I have an encouraging word to all of you in this room today. That. Even when you feel like God has left you, he hasn't. And when you least expect him, he often comes to you. And he'll come to you by whatever means necessary. And I I love how the disciples, you know, they were trying to make it on their own. But yet they're struggling. They're, They're not going anywhere. And many of us find ourselves in that place. It's like one step forward, two steps back. And we're rowing and we're striving and restraining. But you know what? Jesus sees what we're going through. He sees what storm you're in. And I don't know what storm you're in today. Some of you are in a health storm. You're fighting for a health issue with you or a family member. And I would say Jesus sees the storm you're in. Some of you are fighting already the holiday blues, but it's lasted all year. And you're like, this depression, I can't shake. But Jesus sees you in the storm and he comes to you. Notice how he comes to them. He walks on what? He walks on the water. Now, I haven't put the two and two together until I was doing some research. And I never saw this before. But in the ancient world, they feared one thing very greatly, and that was the sea. And that's why it talks about in the new heaven, there's going to be no sea because the ancient world feared the sea. It was troubling. It was the unknown. It was like, what's going to happen with the sea? Is there Leviathan? Are there sea monsters? There's all these mystical unknowns to the ancient world. So the very thing that the disciples feared, Jesus walks upon. So the very fear becomes a vehicle of transportation to bring Jesus closer to his disciples. So I want you guys to think about it. The things that you fear the most are oftentimes the vehicle that God uses to bring himself closer to you. A lot of times we fear the death of a loved one. But how many of us have been brought closer to God, even though we'd never choose for our spouse to go on or a family member, in those moments, we feel closer to God than ever before. A lot of times we fear sickness, but when sickness comes, how many of us drop to our knees and pray and beg God for healing? And we feel closer to God than ever before. So the very things that you fear, Jesus wants to use as a vehicle to bring himself closer to you. He walks on the water. You know, fear is one of the biggest foes of faith. It's impossible for fear and faith to continually exist in the heart of a believer that's at peace. Because throughout the Bible, God tells us not to fear. The only thing that we're to fear is God. Outside of that, we need to get rid of all fear. Joshua 1 nine, a verse that my wife has encouraged us and the kids to memorize. Have I not commanded you, be strong and... And courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord God, your, Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So think about that. Your greatest fear becomes the very vehicle to bring you closer to God. So don't fear. Jesus comes walking on the water. So he, God cares for you even when you can't see him in the storm. The third confession of a wet water walker. Peter, we could see from the text is this, don't just sit there, get out of the boat. Look at your neighbor and say, don't just sit there, get out of the boat. See here what we see in the next two verses, 28 and 29, the same Jesus that called the disciples into the storm is now telling people, Peter, to walk upon the storm. You get that? God called me in it. Now he's telling me to walk upon it. So you may find yourself in God's will and a storm hits, but the same God that sends the storm also controls the storm. Verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to walk on the water. And I love in the original language, uh, one scholar pointed out, the word command is often used as the command of a king in in, in the original Greek language. So the, the implication is Peter is thinking that Jesus is King Jesus. And we know that he also confesses Jesus is the Christ. So Peter has faith enough to get out of the boat. Notice Jesus said, come. And when Peter had gotten down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, can you imagine doing what no man has ever done before, walking on water? So a lot of times we get this imagery, at least in my head, that Peter is kind of testing out the water. You know, he's bending over and he's doing his leg like this to see if, if he'll stick. But in my research I found out the average Palestinian boat was up to 4 feet high. So I think this stage, let's see how tall the stage is. I think the stage is about 4 feet, right? So somewhere in there. So I can't just do this, right? I have to literally jump out of the boat. So Peter didn't just like tiptoe in the sea, he had to jump out of the boat. And it wasn't just the water still, it was The wind was beating against his face. The mist was coming against him. I mean, you're talking about feeling seasick. I mean, the boat was going crazy for hour upon hour. And Peter doesn't just tiptoe. He jumps out of the boat. And by the way, we see him later in Jesus' resurrection. He he dives into the water. So he's got it down by then. But what does it mean to get out of the boat? In an earlier storm, Matthew, I believe it's chapter 8, They were in a storm, but Jesus was with them in the boat sleeping. He was sleeping in the storm. And Jesus stilled the waves in the sea. So you think by now the disciples would say something's going to happen. But this time Jesus isn't in the boat. So what are we going to do? But Peter, he jumps out of the boat. And he begins to walk on the water. He becomes the first ever, apart from Jesus, wet water walker. Have you ever taken a big step of faith in your life? Have you ever just seriously jumped out of the boat and expected God to catch you? Upon reflection, I was looking at my life, and I can think of three crossroads in my life when I jumped out of the boat. I remember when I was 15, and I've given a story before where I preached my first message, and uh, God called me, I want you to do this the rest of your life. So at 15, I surrendered the call to ministry. It's been over 18 years now still loving it, but I had to take a step to jump out of the boat. I remember when I was 23, um, I'm a big family man, all my family lives here in the Asheville area, and I was called to move to Fort Worth, Texas to go to seminary, and I did not want to move. I mean, it was like, I'm leaving my family, I'm leaving my friends behind, I'm leaving everything, and God gave me Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that leave your family, leave your friends, and I'll make you a blessing. You just got to get away. He gave me that scripture, so I did. And I came back a different person from Texas. And I remember when I was, 20, um, I was 25 and 26, and when I turned 27 and got married, the Lord called Laura and I to start a church for people who didn't like church. That's like trying to start a steakhouse for vegetarians. It's like, how are we going to reach those who don't like church? And we labored for over four years, and we began to see God reach people that were, did not like church, wouldn't darken the doors of a church. And as I look at my life, I see God telling me, Timothy, it's easy to become a still-sitting saint. You know, Even after you've jumped out of the boat, it's easy to sit there and watch the Peters, watch the other people jump out, and we're we're just going to watch you. But Confessions of a Wet Water Walker is this. Don't be afraid if Jesus calls you to get out of the boat. Just don't be afraid because whenever you take a step out in faith, you actually take a step up, take a step out, take a step up. Some of us never step out in faith because we're afraid that if we step out, we're going to sink and drown. But when Jesus calls you, as long as you keep your focus on him, you can walk on water, metaphorically speaking, in your life. Whatever he calls you to do, it'll seem like a miracle. Many, many times we attempt things that are humanly possible and we ask God to bless it. When are we going to attempt something that's impossible? That unless God comes through, we're going to sink. That's the faith I'm talking about here. And finally, number four, the fourth confession. Keep your eyes fixed on the one who can walk on water and still the storm. Keep your eyes fixed on the one who can walk on water and storm the, still the storm. Um, Lewis Albert Banks tells a story of a Christian man elderly Christian man he was a fine singer he was the type of guy that would do solos in the church and just had an eloquent singing voice and everyone in the church loved to hear this man and he got cancer of the tongue in his later years and the doctor told him that they were going to have to operate and that most likely he would never sing again and the day of his surgery he looked at the doctor and said so you mean I'll never be able to sing again And the doctor didn't know what to say, so he shook his head. He shook his head no. And this fine Christian man, I want to read what he said. He said, I've sang so many good praises to God and now you tell me I can never sing again. He said, I have one song that will be my last. It will be of gratitude and praise to God. Then there in the doctor's office in his presence he softly sang the words of Isaac Watts' hymn. The words go like this, I will praise my maker while I've have breath and when my last voice is lost in death praise shall employ my nobler power my days of praise shall near be passed while life and thought and being last or immortality endures so he basically was saying if this is my last song i'm going to sing a song of praise and that that really struck a heart with me that even if the worst case happened The guy that loves to sing can't sing anymore. He said, I'm going to give God praise. But something happens in Peter that is quite interesting. He's walking on the water and all of a sudden the wind is just beating against his face and he hears the howling of the wind, much like at nighttime when you hear the wind crackling through the tree leaves and you hear the branches shaking. He hears the wind boisterous, the Bible says. And all of a sudden, he can feel the mist beating against his face. And while he's looking at Jesus and he feels the effects of the storm, he begins to look around. And as he looks around, he begins to focus on his circumstances and the crisis. And all of a sudden, he's thinking to himself, perhaps, what am I doing? I've just stepped in the middle of a storm outside of a boat. And when his focus changes, he begins to sink. And we know the next thing, immediately Jesus grabs his hand. And Jesus, we don't know what happens next, but they end up at the boat. My my personal thoughts, and there are different interpretations, but I believe that Peter, because it doesn't say he sunk completely, he began to sink. Jesus grabbed him. And I think together, hand in hand, they walked back on the water to the boat. That's my personal interpretation. And we don't know. But I think Peter learned a lesson that day. That if you're in a storm, as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can make it. And you won't sink, you'll walk on water. But if you're in the storm and you look at the circumstances, you look at the doctor's report, you look at the finances, you look at the situation, you will sink in a storm. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus in the midst of the storm, you, like Peter, can walk on water in the midst of your storm. Amen? So in conclusion, there's I looked at this text and doing some research. I believe there's at least five miracles in this text. You know, we we think of the one miracle of Jesus walking on water. But let's look at the text here. First of all, we have a sight miracle. Did you realize that Jesus could see the disciples three or four miles away in the dark? We have God's omniscience. He's no Jesus can see things that humans can't see. And I think that's a beautiful thing that when you feel like God has left you, the Bible says that Jesus is seated in the heavens as our high priest. And he's praying. He's looking down on you now and he's praying for you and he sees you. Even when you feel like he doesn't see, you. he does. So we have a sight miracle in this text. We have a transportation miracle. Jesus walks on the water. He's the master of all creation. But you look at what happens to Peter. We have a faith miracle. Peter gets to get in on Jesus' miracle and do a miracle of his own. He taps into faith in the supernatural empowering of Jesus to allow him to walk on water. And we have a creation miracle. You notice what happens when they get in the boat? What happens to the wind and the waves? They're stilled. So, I mean, that was a miracle because they were raging, pretty much from the text and implies, for many hours. But there's a fifth miracle in John you can write it down in your text. It's John 6:21, and this is an implied miracle. But many scholars say this is an actual miracle. But as soon as Jesus gets in their boat, John 6:21 says immediately they were at their destination. So I like to call that the destination miracle. So the thing about storms is a lot of times storms slow you down; they keep you from reaching your de- your destiny. But when Jesus gets in the boat, when Jesus stills the storm, all that struggling begins to cease. And you reach your destination that God has for you. So in conclusion. The rest of the story. We know that Peter got back in the boat. They made it to the other side. But I want to I want to close with a question. As we talked about the five confessions of a wet water walker. I want to ask you the question. Are you a wet water walker? Or are you a still sitting saint? If I could just imagine, the other disciples probably looked at each other and said, Man, I wish I would have said, Me too. And Jesus said, Okay, you come out too. I mean, it wasn't limited to just Peter, but Peter was the only one that asked to do something great. It's like William Carey once said, Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. A lot of us, we're not expecting nor attempting. So what I want to encourage everyone at Arden First is this. In the new year... I want you to make the choice as we look at the holidays, the Christmas season, we look at the coming weeks in 2017. Let's not be still sitting saints when Jesus calls us. And that's the caveat. He calls us to do something. Let us be willing to say, Lord, command me to come and let us with Peter become wet water walkers, a willing to do the impossible because God is working in and through our lives. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you for your word and how encouraging it is. Father, I ask and pray. There's many here today that are in a storm right now. And right now, there's some that feel like they can't go on. God, maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial storm. Maybe it's a relational storm. God, maybe they need to ask Jesus to get in the boat. They've never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And friend, if that's you right now, just in your own words... Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and change me, Jesus. I need you in the boat of my life. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, come talk to us. We want to tell you about what your next steps are. And Father, for the remainder of us who are still sitting saints, help us be willing when Jesus calls us to get out of the boat and to become a wet water walker. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, Amen. I'm not going to ask